0: My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. (laughs) Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show, and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first, and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting, and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, Laugh just a little bit more. So, in a slight departure from the usual course of programming today, we're actually talking about me. And the person who's going to be asking the questions is a wonderful human being called Julian. I met Julian about two or three months ago. He was the first person to kind of introduce me to podcasting in a way. And we're kind of working together on this podcast. So he's heard a lot of the episodes and he's heard me talk a little bit about my mum and the relationship I have with her. But today the tables are turned and it's going to be Julian asking me about Teresa.
1: I'll be playing (laughs) Paul. Yeah, well, thank you for such a nice introduction. That's very nice. Welcome to your own podcast. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How does it feel being the guest? I feel a little nervous, if I'm honest. Truthfully, yeah. I was thinking about on the journey over here like is should this be sort of no holds barred mm. like how much detail should i go into <laughs> no holds barred um, I love it. <laughs> yeah i mean I'm making it sound more grand than it actually it's good yeah so but like look i'm an open book julian
1: all right. Do your work. I feel
0: like the snippet on the Instagram post is going to be no holds
1: barred. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's, the, that's the juicy bit. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, yeah, if we follow the format of your own interview, if I were interviewing you as Paul, mm. I would probably ask you, tell me about your mother. Mm. <laughs> Where to start?
0: So my mom is called Teresa Elizabeth Sharman. And she has, including through her marriage, she's kept her sort of maiden name. She has done that, I think, because she's incredibly proud of her admittedly quite distant Irish heritage. My Mm. mum, I think, has a bit of kind of an American approach to Irish heritage such that someone somewhere far back was definitely Irish. Right, right, right. And she's kind of adopted this. She describes herself as, and I think I'm going to get this right, this is a verbatim quote, a lesbian, anarchist, feminist, Marxist, radical Catholic in that order, end quote. And the funny thing is, is that all of those words you know, don't really mean anything kind of individually in her context. And in some cases, they're quite contradictory. Like, I suppose some people will say, well, how can you be a lesbian and a Catholic? And how can Mm. you be, I don't know, a feminist and and a Catholic in some respects? But she somehow manages to bring it all together into this weirdly cohesive whole human being. Mm. So I think, you know, listeners, and and obviously you will remember the story about my mum, not allowing us to take communion on Sunday church because she truly believes that it was the body and the blood of Christ and we were vegan. Mm. So, you know, of course the fact that you've got to add vegan to the list. Oh god, you didn't didn't have that the first time, yeah. yeah. She uh, she does (laughs) she does define herself as vegan. And of course now she's got celiac, so she's like strictly as well. So well actually funny enough, she was down visiting this week and going out to a restaurant is a real challenge like it has to explicitly say that it's vegan and explicitly say that it's gluten-free and hasn't come into any contact with any non-gluten-free foods in order for her to take it so and also she's got to ethically agree with the restaurant as well exactly exactly so we're <laughs> not going to i don't know like the hard rock cafe or something yeah like yeah, yeah there's quite a lot of levels there exactly i think you know coming back to all of those words you know vegan radical lesbian feminist catholic it is kind of funny because Like I said, a lot of these things seem contradictions, and in some respects, they often are. She is a woman who I've always considered to be incredibly resilient and strong, to the point sometimes where, as kids, we we sort of feared her. Not necessarily in a bad way, but, you know, she was very forthright with her views. She was very vocal with what Mm. she saw around her and, you know, kind of the way she saw the world. Just one example, my... Sister is a bit, quite a bit darker than me, so we're both mixed race. My dad's Iranian, and growing up in Bradford, the P word, Packy, unfortunately, is thrown around quite a lot, and people in the street used to call my sister that. So we'd be. I remember one time it was me, mum, and my sister. My sister was like, I don't know, eight, nine. So I wasn't much older. Yeah, yeah. And someone pointed to her and said, "Oh, look at that dirty little Packy." Jesus. And my mum stopped in her stride I think at that point she had a shaved head which is obviously part of her kind of radical lesbianism grabbed this girl's hair and said if you speak to my daughter like that one more time I will kick you in your shin with my size 8 DMs and like the, the reason I sort of mentioned that is obviously it's an example of her, you know, like directness. Sta- yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah, think to be yeah. fair, like any parent would have a very similar reaction to yeah, that yeah. kind of abuse and racism, but also like the size eight DMs were for a long period of time, like a big part of her identity, not just in terms of like the brand DMs, but the fact that she had quite large feet for a woman. Right, um, okay. So and there's so, like two levels to it. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, if someone had parked on the pavement that we used to walk to on the road that we used to what to go to school my mom if they were getting out of the car she's like if you don't move that car I'll kick it with my size 8 dms so like she's quite sort of you know forthright to the point of being almost like abusive yeah in yeah. that respect but yeah like i mean there's loads more we can talk no about. i love that i think it's one of those things where
1: it's i think a lot of people have points of difference right that's, that's basically what we're talking about here is like you're kind of your how you identify and your points of difference and what like gives you your identity and I think a lot of people have maybe one or two of those things mm. whereas your mum obviously is quite comfortable and having a lot of them mm. even the size eight thing she's like this is a point of difference for me yeah. whether she's proud of it or not it's yeah. like there's a kind of a market there right yeah. so I guess like I guess a question for me having heard a lot about what well, listeners will have heard the podcast and heard a lot about you anecdotally talking about your mum like what do you think drives her to want that difference and like need to kind of be different? Because that does feel like a recurring theme with the stories you're telling.
0: I think it's a really good and interesting question. And sort of almost starting at the end, which is something that I think I've learned me and my mum now share quite a lot, is I also, I think, define myself by my points of difference. Like Mm. being half iranian with an immigrant dad and a gay mom yeah. and having a sort of like a working class and quite tough upbringing and childhood i think are all part of a real key part of my identity and how Funny enough i don't introduce myself to people in this way but i think it's one of the first things you get to know about me those points of difference and, and we definitely sort of share that mm. but what would your because you've obviously got
1: quite a strong strap line for your mum in terms of her points of difference what would yours be
0: well i think yeah you know if you had to do the paul afshara's sort of the weird elevator pitch i would say i bradford born welfare kid grew up in a basement quite literally sort of felt a sense as a kid of not just being different, but kind of being looked down upon mm. for lots of different reasons, because we had a brown dad, because we were kind of poor growing up, because we lived in Bradford. And those things, in a sort of almost negative way, became like a real motivating factor for me to kind of yank myself up, if that mm. makes sense, Since initially through school, then uni, then like, you know, jobs after uni as well. And in a way, those things, I think for a long period of time in me, you know, the childhood, the, the sort of poverty, working class, mixed parentage, et cetera, I think I saw them as negative points of difference and um, mm. things that people would judge me by. And now, you know, thanks to a lot of therapy, I see them as positive differences and not just that, but like a key part of my identity. So I think that's the sort of the beginning bit. It's a short strapline. But what's interesting is I think that's also something that me and my mum share a little bit but for slightly different reasons. So just to give you a bit of background on her, she grew up in Bradford, she's always lived in Bradford, and she grew up in a sort of quite a large family. So she's got five other brothers and sisters. An additional two brothers and sisters, I think there was one brother and one sister, wow. were taken away from my grandma relatively you know, soon after they were born because at the time my grandma was deemed sort of unfit to raise right, them yeah. she lived in a council house she was poor etc so my mom was the first child after those two that my grandma got to keep and kind of raise now if that starts to paint a picture of the sort of family situation unfortunately it kind of got worse mm. I think there was a lot of violence at her home in her family there was unfortunately sexual abuse Mm -hmm. you know my granddad ended up going to my maternal granddad ended up going to prison for that actually at a much later stage when all of his kids were were adults and decided to take justice i guess or get justice but you sort of get the sort of image of a kind of quite horrendous childhood and the fear if not hatred but certainly fear of men from my mom to her dad and, you know, all of those things, and you know, are completely understandable. It's just a, as, as an aside, I suppose the obvious question is, like, how do I know about these things? Yeah, absolutely. And my mum still, in a sort of very delicate and sensitive way, still talks about and she, these things. She's been open with me and my sister about them to the point where even as quite young kids, she would talk about them. And I think even by her admission now, would probably sort of say that was probably too young to kind of introduce lot of these stories and explanations about her mm. into my and my sister's life. So from a very young age, me and my sister kind of knew that we had an abusive grandfather who we never met. We never met him at all, which I think was a good thing. And a contr- decision by my mum and that my mum had had a really horrendous childhood and was, was a vic- both a victim and of course a survivor of family violence, sexual abuse, mm. you know, etc. So... The woman she is now and the woman that I certainly remember as a kid is very much, in some respects, in a negative way, very much a product of her own childhood. Mm. It was really interesting talking to one of my previous guests, Kirsty, who kind of runs Save the Children. And yeah. she said, you know, bad childhoods follow you forever or bad outcomes as a kid follow you forever. Mm. And I think that is, it's so true. And it's none the more so true of someone like my mum, who, as a sort of younger woman and latterly a parent to me and my sister, still harboured a lot of those fears and anxieties about men, about trust in other people, including family members. I remember she once, in anger and... Do I blame her for this? I don't know. It wasn't a nice thing to say, but she once told me that I was becoming a man when I was obviously a teenager, young teenager, and all men are rapists. And I was going to, you know, if I wasn't careful, that would be what I would become, which as a kid... I mean, that's very strong
1: for a kid. I mean, because how are you going to process that as a kid? You can't. Exactly. It's impossible. I mean, well, you can,
0: but you're going to just essentially
1: feel guilty for something you've not even done, right?
0: Precisely. Yeah. And... Not just not guilty for what you've been done, but almost fear becoming an adult. Yeah, absolutely. Man, yeah, because that's the only thing that I'm going to become. If that makes sense, it's really
1: interesting because I think I feel one of the common themes again that like you've, I think something that is interesting from all the episodes is how like parents trying, you know, their own background has formed them, right? And they're obviously trying their best to bring a better situation about. But you almost can't escape the stuff that you've gone through and bringing that to the situation. So it's it's interesting you saying about your mum having gone through a lot at an early age. Mm. Presumably, if, you know, in a way, you've grown up quite quickly as a result of that. And you know, like it or not, there's obviously like a big, there's a lot of adult issues there that she's dealt with quite young. Mm. And I guess like it doesn't surprise me. I guess that you were brought into that mm. in the same way because she obviously is on some level. It, it feels like was trying to give you that kind of exposure as well, which is, but I mean, do you think it's served you well in any respect? Just, I guess that's the only, that's the other side of it, right? Is do you think if she hadn't told you or kind of let
0: you cotton on to that side of things? Yeah. I think in some respects, yes. Mm. Yeah. I think as a male adult and obviously, you know, (laughs) emphasis on that, but given what we said, I think I'm much more alive to a lot of the shit that women go through Sure. And, and girls go through as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless of, you know, take out the sort of the violence part, but in society in general. So, mm-hmm. and that I think has informed and formed the man I've become. I can't really think of an example specifically without making it sound like super kind of woke and wanky. But, you know, like I'm just very conscious that, you know, female friends may feel physically threatened in certain situations where. Yeah you know, there's not a lot of security, not a lot of men. Or in kind of big groups, you know, the guys can often be domineering and, yeah, and sort yeah, of yeah. overassertive, And, you know, if you're not, if you don't have that kind of, if you're not a man, if you're not white, whatever, that can, you know, temper how you interact with other people as well in those sorts of groups. Mm. So not the best examples, but it's informing like a sort of positive and kind of funny ways as well. It's not all kind of like doom and gloom. And I'll give you sort of slightly... It's more weird and funny than funny story. My mum religiously celebrates International Women's Day on the 8th of March, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. And when we were at school, it would come around to 8th of March and she sort of instilled it in us from a young age that we would have to make her an International Women's Day card and bring it home. So me and my sister sort of did this. Now, of course, I mean, I think even now it would be fine to have it hard to find in like a card shop an International Women's Yeah, Day yeah, yeah. So that's why we had to make it at school. So I remember like a sort of young kid just feeling this was completely normal. And then at lunchtime on the 8th of March, asking to go to the, like, the art room and all my friends were like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I've got to make my mum an International Women's Day card. And yeah, yeah. then being like, what the fuck is International Women's Day? <laughs> so like, you know, stuff like that. But That's
1: not a stock Clinton's card. It's no, not. Think, you know. Maybe
0: there's a maybe there's a business line there. Um, <laughs> if anyone wants to do it, I'll certainly be a happy customer. Look, that's a kind of you know. It's a really positive thing because she's you know the constant refrain is like, well, why isn't there International Man's Day? And she would sort of respond, quite yeah, right yeah, forthrightly. Well, International Man's Day is 364 days of the year. Yeah, yeah, every um, so, Yeah, it makes that you kind of realise that as a kid. As an adult, you know, the same thing is true. I don't really send her International Women's Day cards now, but I give her like a message or a call. Yeah, sure. But I remember one time when I think I was still at uni and I was up visiting her in Bradford, but it was quite a fleeting visit because I think I was there for only half a day. The reason that's relevant is I sort of tried to arrange to meet up with her and she said, oh, I can't come to you because I'm staffing a stall at this community center in a different part of the city for international women's day Mm. and i said all right well can i come to you and you know we'll get a coffee and we'll, we'll catch up and she said okay fine i'll just ask the organizers so what i hadn't quite realized at the time was this particular event on international women's day was staffed by very sort of shall we say sort of radical feminists who right, okay. were very much into kind of like safe spaces for women yeah, yeah. and no men allowed in those safe spaces and i think perhaps this was absolutely fair in some respects because the area we were in was a very sort of heavily muslim area so there were a lot of muslim women there mm-hmm. you know and they wanted to you know not necessarily have to wear you know the veil or the hijab or or whatever so I understand from that perspective. This will all become relevant later in the story. No, I can so see I, where this is going. Yes. I, <laughs> I turned up. This one was like, what? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, my mum's here. She's a shaman. And how old were you at this point? Oh, I was 20, 20. Oh, okay, old. fine. Yeah, yeah, so like an adult. Anyway, the woman eventually let me in. I was keen enough to get a coffee for my mum. One of the women behind me took umbrage with that. And she's like, you shouldn't be in here. Get out. No man allowed. And then she decided to spit in her own coffee, put it on the side and then walk out. And I was like, okay, this is bizarre, but whatever. Okay, You know, like I'm here. I'm here to see my mom. It's quite a considerate protest in fairness. Yeah, it was, you know, she didn't spit on me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I eventually found my mom the stall And she was sort of setting up everything. She's like, oh, you know, people are going to start coming in. I just quickly need to go to the loo. Do you mind just, like, manning the stall? Which is quite a funny word, given the fact that it was National Woman's (laughs) Day. So I stood behind the stall, didn't really pay attention to what was kind of on it. And all these sort of women would come up and just, like, read what was on the front, read things. And then then sort of, like, wave their hand and sort of shake their head and kind of (laughs) retreat back and whatever. And so no one was, like, everyone was very perplexed by... The stall, and I I thought it was because it was me, because of course that must look weird in in a women-only event. And it turns out, as I found out when my mum came back, she was manning the stall for the Bradford Rape and Incest Survivors Society. Oh wow! Obviously, very (laughs) serious issue. So I didn't laugh, but that's No, uh, no, I mean, because it, it's just bizarre <laughs> that my mum thought it was A, okay for me, a man, to come into a women-only space, and then it would be a good look for me, a man, to be manning that stall on a very sensitive issue. Not
1: knowing what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly, and i was just like, oh, my God, Mum, like, really? You're just there with a smile on your face, waving at people going by. It's just, like, yeah, it's just yeah. It's sort of like this sort of dark comedy juxtaposition yeah, of like yeah. hapless me and, and it being like this sort of... It's kind, kind of perfect issue. comedically, yeah. We're on all the best podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, all of them. And we're even on the World Wide Web at MyMumMadeMe.com. Head over to MyMumMadeMe.com where you can get extra unheard voice notes sent to your email inbox from the woman herself, Teresa Sharman. That's my mum. So like this, you know, back to your question, it sort of shows up really kind of like practically in my life in sort of ways that I can certainly look back on and laugh now and in kind of almost comedic ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. The reason I asked that as well, because I think your mum, from what you describe, right, obviously I don't know your mum. Although, frankly, after listening to all these podcasts, I do feel like I know her a little bit. She's actually, I guess if you think about like where we are right now as a culture and just the way a lot of stuff is moving, not always in the same direction, but it does feel like she's a bit ahead of her time mm. in a lot of elements, mm. right? And some of that is, you know, going back to the list earlier, the veganism, the feminism, mm. the Marxism, for mm. better or worse. Like, mm. you know, there's, there's lots of different aspects to it that are becoming more prevalent now and are kind of informing how people parent. And I mm. guess what's interesting about this is that as more parents now start to bring this stuff into their parenting style and to their kids, I guess my question to you would be, As a kid of that environment, Mm. what advice would you give to other parents based on how your mum brought it to you?
0: That's such a, do you know what? That's such a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Let me give you a little bit of a tiny story to kind of answer the question. Then I'll kind of give my thoughts as well. Sure. So about, oh God, I must have been 22. So this is obviously three years ago. 17 years ago. Um, <laughs> to clarify, Paul's yeah. just turned 21. So like, <laughs> <laughs> a person who I'm now very good friends with, and was sort of like getting to become good friends with at the time, he was a little bit older. So I guess he must have been in his early to mid thirties. And so we were getting to know each other, obviously, you know, he knew that I had a gay mum. And she raised me and my sister as a single parent. The reason so we went out for dinner, he took me out for dinner. And I was like, well, that's very kind of you. Why? And he said, well, I am thinking about either adopting a child or having a child with two lesbian women, and he, mm. he's a gay man as well, and having, therefore, sort of, in inverted commas, unconventional kind of like family setup. yeah. And he wanted to understand, like, okay, well, how did your mom do it? Are you the biological child? Yes, I am. Were you bullied at school? Yes, I was. What did I feel like as a kid with a gay mom? And the truth is, is that even back then, My mum, when she had women in her life, and they were usually with the exception of one woman, her long love, Cagney, they would have kids around our age as well. And it was a similar situation where they'd had biological kids with a man, got divorced, came out and whatever. So, you know, even when she had women in her life... That just felt very normal. It felt very normal because they were, in some respects, you know, nice, loving situations. And, you know, as a kid, you just want to be given care and, and attention. Mm. But it also felt normal in, in kind of contrast to everyone else. It just didn't sort of click, I remember, very clearly as a young kid, until a kid at school said, I saw your mom kissing another mom in town and I'm going to tell everyone. Right. And it wasn't so much the kissing another woman in town. It was kissing someone in town. And I was like, "Oh my god, er, uh, PDAs, yeah." And the fact yeah. that he was going to tell everyone, but it was only then that it kind of dawned up on me. Oh, this is different. This is something that people can weaponize against. Can you. weaponize. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. So there were obviously flashes of brilliance as well. I remember my mum coming to parents' evening, and this was probably when I was about thirteen or fourteen. And talking about weaponising, she had weaponized her lesbianism physically. So she had a shaved head, like absolutely, like shorter than your hair. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Now she was wearing those size 8 Doc Martin boots, no tights, unshaved armpits, like a string vest, and God knows what else. So she, you know, and a leather jacket.
1: Yeah, as she's well. leaning into that. She <laughs> she leant into the stereotype, let's say. Totally.
0: So we turned up to parent's evening with my dad, who's this sort of, you know, quite conservative with a small C brown man, my mum who looked like that, and me. And all the kids were just like, what? This is, what? These are your parents? Yeah, I yeah. don't think they realised, like, my dad's brown and my mom's, you know, looks this way. So that was quite something. But I remember one of the teachers, one of the senior teachers putting out his hand to shake my mum's hand. And he said, oh, hello, Mrs. Afshar. And she said, I'm not Mrs. Afshar. I'm not Mrs. anything. I'm Ms. Sharman. Like very angrily, very kind of like confrontation. He yeah, like, oh, I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm so sorry, Ms. Sharman. And put his hand out again. And she put her hand behind her back. And she says, I don't shake hands because I'm not a man. And he sort of raised his eyebrows. Men used to shake hands in the olden days to show they weren't carrying a weapon or a sword. And I'm not carrying a weapon. And I'm not a man. And, you know, obviously that's quite funny in a way, very sort of like eccentric. (laughs) But imagine that in the context of No, that's why I was just
1: thinking, yeah, because it's very, well, this is what I mean also about being ahead of her time in a way, because it is very confrontational, right? Mm. Straight off the bat. It's not giving much benefit of the doubt to a teacher who might have
0: been just, you know. (laughs) Who was willing to take her for who she was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. So
0: it's, yeah, that feels uncomfortable (laughs) as a kid. So there were moments of, Actually, do you know what? In that particular instance, and... Because the other thing that
1: kids hate is drama, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's
0: why, particularly with parents. Maybe maybe I loved it a little bit too much. (laughs) My sister and I talk about this, about there's very little now, and my mom is still this same person with these same, almost confrontational eccentricities. There's very little now that she can do that embarrasses me or my sister because we've seen it all. Mm. And I think even by that point, even like age 13, 14, 15, I can't quite remember how old I was. I remember being like, okay, this is happening. Not feeling embarrassed, just feeling knowing that it was embarrassing, knowing yeah, that everyone yeah. was looking at me, but being like, "This is happening." I'm kind of used to this by now, etc. So there were moments of like cringe-worthy embarrassment. There were moments of recognizing that the behaviour was weird yeah, or very yeah. different, but there were just also moments of like real sunshine as well. I remember, you know, whatever you may think of parents who have multiple. When I say multiple partners, I mean you know, not just one personally get married to and stay with the rest of their life but you know my mum had a series of girlfriends I guess in Bradford with I'm very proud of her for this with incredibly working class names like June and Debbie and TJ and Kathleen or whatever (laughs) that was lovely in a way because I think this is less to do with the sort of the gay thing but I think for us we were used to growing up in very different family arrangements Mm. where in a way we kind of had step-mums but then there was also like a community of gay women around and You know, it was a bit like that adage, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, our village was basically all based in Hebden Bridge in Halifax, the UK's lesbian centre. Like, quite literally, like, we would go to these women's houses for parties and whatever, and they would know me. It takes the gay village to raise a child. It takes (laughs) the gay village to raise a a now gay child. Um, (laughs) But those were sort of, like, lovely memories. And... I can reflect back on this now. I'm not sure if I felt this as a kid, and back to your question, like, you know, what's my advice? I really do think that I'm quite resilient, and it's quite unnatural language for me to use, Because and I'm also quite British as well. But, you know, in, in interviews where they're like, what is your key strength? And I'm like, well, actually, I think resilience, because yeah, yeah. all of those different experiences, and emphasis on different, meaning they were different from most kids, mm. I think of sort of given me that exposure and resilience and I sort of feel like you know life can throw anything at me and I'll take it and I'll deal with it and it'll always be fine and I think a big part of that is because my mom and my childhood and my family were so different from mm. everyone else. We're on all the best podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, all of them. And we're even on the World Wide Web at MyMumMadeMe.com. Head over to MyMumMadeMe.com where you can get extra unheard voice notes sent to your email inbox from the woman herself, Teresa Sharman. That's my mum.